the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a brand new electric episode of New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is the Chadster, and every single week I am joined here by my crack broadcast team, breaking it down, talking about the old times, the good old days of the WWF's new generation, and today's show focuses on the WWF Intercontinental Championship. We're going to talk about champions, we're going to talk about matches, we're going to talk about moments, and more importantly, we're going to talk about the Workman's Championship. The guys who held the straps that had the best matches held the Intercontinental Championship. First, let's welcome in CP. I know this guy loves him some Intercontinental Championship. If he was in his home right now, I bet you he'd even have a belt that he could display. But unfortunately, we got CP on location tonight. CP, how are you? I am doing good, Chad, sir, and that is correct. I love the Intercontinental title. It is near and dear to my heart. And it's the only championship belt I own is the Intercontinental title in the form of this era. Uh, So that is going to be a fun conversation today we have today. It's probably going to be oozing machismo a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> so we have to think of you like, uh, you know, uh, getting ready for work and throwing the belt on just to make sure, you know, the, the spit curls in the right direction, you know, the, the toothpicks <laughs> behind the ear, a little Razor Ramon pantomiming going on. It's my motivation. Every morning I take a shower and I look at that gold. <laughs> and Timmy, if you were going to be an intercontinental being to me, I think it would be the czar. I think you might be gold dust. <laughs> How you doing there tonight, Timmy? I'm doing great, man. I wish I still had my – I had the old Blue Warrior Intercontinental belt once upon a time. and uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, the only uh, belt from this era I still have is the uh, the good old um, classic tag team championship. That oh, I yeah. wish I did not miss that episode because it's a beauty. <laughs> yes, if we cover a, ty- a, ch- a topic that you have a championship title from, you have to wear it. That's now like the, that's the precedent. So you missed the tag team episode, so you couldn't display your belt. You're didn't ha- you're not home, so you can't have your intercontinental championship. Uh, I guess if uh, we do a Hulk Hogan episode, which we might, I could bring out a Hulk Hogan weight belt, and there you go. I'll have yeah. some Hulkamania displayed. But that's uh, that is unfortunate, and I have seen the the room that you keep that in. It's pretty badass. So that's uh, that's pretty sweet. But yeah, but guys, we're gonna here to talk about the Intercontinental Championship, uh, the belt that I think a lot of us remember as being the belt that had the guys most associated with the best matches on the card. And they always said it was the workhorse title. It was the guys who would put on the best match on an event, whether it was a house show or a pay-per-view. Uh, you already said it once, Timmy, that the Intercontinental, w- Intercontinental Championship back when it meant something, and it literally couldn't be any more uh, of like the statement that's going to set the pace for this episode because it really did mean something. And it was a, a championship 
that when it was defended, it was can't miss television. When they were in a squash match, it was can't miss television because we didn't get to see champions as often as we get to see them now. I mean, and this is not old man, you know, uh, um, yelling at the kids on the front lawn. There are 9,000 titles now. And it is hard to keep track of, you know, United States champions, American champion, international champion, tag team champions for two brands, uh, two or three world champions. It's uh, two or three women's champions. Back in the day when it was intercontinental tag, world title, and every so often a women's uh, title defense and a king of the ring. Very simple. Very, very simple. And guys, the first thing I want to ask is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the Intercontinental Championship? CP, I'll start with you. Um, so sp- specifically when I think of the Intercontinental Championship, I just think of it being the belt that I wanted to be or have when I was a child. Like, that was my dream was not the world title. I wanted to be the Intercontinental Champion for whatever reason, and I can't imagine that happening right now. Um, when I think of this era, I think of a specific person kind of holding that throne. I don't know if you want to get into that yet, or we could talk about that later. No, you could say, I want to know. So what, when you think of the IC title in the mid nineties, what do you think of? I, I think of Razor Ramon above all. He seems to have tracked almost all the years of the new generation in the hunt for the intercontinental title. He fell in and out of the picture a little bit and he never really made it over that hump to the main event scene, but he was always like the standard barrier for the intercontinental title. A guy who's six foot seven, you know, uh, two seventy five, uh, and can throw you around like a sack of potatoes. Um, having some of the best matches uh, of the era. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great start. How about you, Timmy? What do you think about when you think of the intercontinental championship? Well, first and foremost, I've always thought, you know, it's the, uh, th- this guy's going to be world champ soon. You know, either this was right. the big start, this was the stepping stone. So when absolutely your guy yep. or somebody, even you hate wins that intercontinental, you know, what's coming next. Um, Cause back to the steamboat, you know, savage match. That's what always comes to mind first with the title. But during this era, <laughs> two, two people always come to mind for me. And uh, one is obviously razor. It has to be, you know, to me, he was the, the the epitome of the IC champion at that time. The other is because I'm an EC Dub fan. Good old Dean Douglas. <laughs> oh, oh, we're gonna it talk about the Dean. It was. <laughs> we're gonna talk about the Dean because yes, it was a short title reign, but man, did it! it, it if they talk about the whole backstory, it, it probably means just as much as the ladder match. If you think about it, just in terms of the ramifications it had. Um, you know, politically uh, and behind the scenes. Um, I tend to think exactly what you think there, Tim, is that, you know, we saw guys get elevated winning the Intercontinental Championship. And you go back to Savage, you and you think about the Warrior, and then you think about Brett, and you see then the next class, the guys like Shawn Michaels and how they were basically groomed, Triple H, The Rock. They were groomed through that Intercontinental Championship to become the world championship holder of eventually two brands, but at more importantly, the main WWF heavyweight championship. Um, so, you know, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is absolutely, I guess a hybrid of both of what you said. I think of razor Ramon and I think of guys working their way up. Um, but when I think about razor Ramon, I think about the fact that he had an unprecedented five championship reigns in the span of, 
of like two and a half years. And even though those changes didn't happen all the time, it was just the fact that he had a lot of reins in a short amount of time, but they all had their own kind of meaning to it. Uh, so I kind of think that's funny. We always lament on that era and say, oh, well, that was where everybody had lengthy title reigns. He had five reigns in like two and a half years. That's that's a lot. <laughs> but it didn't feel like a lot at the time. No, and it's also, it's exactly what you said as far as everyone kind of having a completely different meaning. I mean, there's, there's his original reign, which was kind of all about the new generation and all about Razor taking his rightful spot, uh, which is, you know, you're showing the video right now, Tim. He, he won that battle royal and then had the amazing victory over Rick Martel the following week. Uh, but then, you know, he has the later title reigns where he's almost, he's kind of like Diesel's stepping stone to be getting into the title picture. He's kind of Sean's stepping stone to get into the title picture a little after that. So it, it's kind of, yeah, there's definitely a distinct meaning for his different title reigns. Yeah, and a real stepping stone for Diesel because he's squashed. I mean, when he loses the belt to Diesel, it is like... And it was a su- very big surprise because Diesel wasn't really having matches at that point. And all of a sudden, he comes in, he beats Razor Ramon in like seemingly no time to win the IC title. Um, and it was a surprise because we just knew him as the bodyguard. And uh, I think he, before he did get the, the world title shot against Brett, but was Diesel yeah. the Intercontinental Champion at that point? Did Had he had won the belt by King of the Ring? I think he had won the belt. I think he was the Intercontinental Champion at King of the Ring. Oh, okay. Is he? Because, uh, again, you know, that's the Alzheimer's kicking in. I'm not uh, – I, I don't remember every single thing uh, off the top of my head like I should, but um, – He was, yeah. He won, he won it on – I'm looking it up now. He won it on Superstars in April of 94. Yeah. It was, wow, it was April. Yeah, I mean, I remember it being an absolute, like, you know, squash pretty much. But I didn't think it was that – wow, I didn't think it was that but that early uh, in the year, um, you know, eventually leading to their match at SummerSlam, which we talked about SummerSlam last week with the Tatanka and Lex Luger um, match. But the um, the match with Razor and Diesel at SummerSlam with Walter Payton in yep. Razor Ramon's corner – is uh, it's a great match. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. it's a it, super it's got, fun match. Yeah, it's got a lot. They got a lot of time. You know, the the build up was fantastic. Uh, uh, Shawn Michaels and and Diesel won the tag championship the prior weekend, right before SummerSlam. So it had like an added little you know dimension to the uh, to the actual uh, contest. But yeah, this is another marquee match for that SummerSlam. I mean, that SummerSlam '94 is pretty damn loaded. Um, yeah. But these Razor Ramon title reigns, you know, again, albeit from 93 through 95 uh, into early 96, you know, it covered a lot of ground, but didn't cover the whole entire new generation. So um, we I guess we're going to put Razor Ramon. If we were going to rank him, we'll probably put Razor, I think, at number one. I think we'll universally agree <laughs> on Razor Ramon. Would I would I be so uh, inclined to say so? I would agree. Timmy? Um, I'm there with. I think as far as numbers, Double J kind of fits in there as well. But he just—he's not who comes to mind when I think Intercontinental, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great point. But he did fit in perfectly as the Razor Ramon foil, um, and it always seemed like the you know the Scott Hall Razor Ramon always had that perfect guy to go against him in these Intercontinental title feuds, whether it was Shawn Michaels to Diesel to double J to gold dust, you know, or, or, and I don't think the one, two, three kid 
really got a, a fair shot at um, the Intercontinental title when uh, Razor was holding it. But yeah, he he lined up perfectly with all these different guys. And again, it's all about the matches because these matches are all very good. Yeah, they're all great matches. And I mean, it just, I mean, let's go back to that, the Diesel Razor match that you were just talking about. I mean, the, the ending to that match is the, you know, it's got, it's got the Shawn Michaels kick of Diesel, which ends up being a theme over the next two months through the Survivor Series, which we talked about once before. But I mean, that was just, that was making of Diesel, even in a loss. Uh, that was just, a, that was an amazing match. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, feud after feud, match after match. Razor kills it. He's underrated in the ring, too. So we don't really think of Diesel, though. I wouldn't say Diesel's a name that pops off the uh, the map when we're thinking of the IC champions, although he did have a pretty lengthy reign. That, unbeknownst to me, I thought it was a little bit shorter. Um, yeah. Don't really think about Diesel now. Is that because he's a big man? I, I think it's more because of that that world title reign just kind of yeah. overshadowed that whole thing that you don't even realize he did have that IC title first. Yeah, I think it was such a clear transitional run to get him to that world title picture, it feels like. That, yes, thank you. You both bought it because I said two minutes ago that Razor Ramon was six foot seven. So if we were going to say he was a big man, I was going to say, well, hold on. If you remember, he's the medium sized man. <laughs> medium sized man. The medium sized man. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing where um, the. Match you just mentioned, the Battle Royal, um, was so different at the time to set up a match. Instead of like, oh, the winner of this Battle Royal gets the Intercontinental Championship, that Battle Royal specifically could kind of fall in line with one of my favorite matches of the whole era, only because it was kind of filled with some jabronis, you know, for the most part. But Rick Martel legitimately looked like he was about to win. And that to me would have been like the greatest coup of the entire, uh, you know, uh, show that we've done so far is that we can talk about a Rick Martel. I see title win. Um, if you thought Rick Martel was going to win, give me a hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not there with you. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Jesus. I thought he was going to win. <laughs> No, I mean, he, he was definitely competitive in that match, though, and it was a super fun match. I love the way that match, too, just had that old feel, that old school feel, which they try to do sometimes now, but the, the beginning of Raw with the sirens, and it was just like they were in the ring, like, ready to go. Like, that's just that setup for that match the weekend after the, the week after the Battle Royal was just fun, and it's a great, entertaining match. Rick Martel really does kill it in that. Yeah, and he came back. He was gone for the most part um, in 94. I think he was in the Royal Rumble. But look at that classic doing his jumping jacks. I love that. I mean, this is so charismatic. I, I really, I could watch Rick Martell all day. Um, as we have the Battle Royal out of the background for those who aren't waiting about the show and how we have the footage kind of running as we're talking. Um, when the era kicks off, the Intercontinental Champion is Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels defeated the British Bulldog in uh, November, or excuse me, October 1992 kind of still falling out of the window so cp thinks it started in november uh 92 right when when uh right before i guess october ish october when it, 92 when, yeah when brett, yeah, when brett wins the, the title uh from rick flair so kind of in that same neighborhood Shawn michaels beats the british bulldog for the intercontinental title 
on Saturday night's main event, uh, where Bulldog would be going on a little bit of a uh, vacation before ending up in WCW um, due to uh, policies being changed in the uh, the WWF. But Shawn Michaels is your champion entering 1993, the uh, genesis of the the new gen. Uh, what do you think about Shawn Michaels as Intercontinental Champion? Perfect guy at that time, or uh, kind of didn't need a belt because he was a good heel? No, I think he's the perfect guy at that time. I, I mean, he's, if you, I mean, we'll get into this too, but, you know, I would probably, I know Tim mentioned Jarrett before. I would probably put Shawn as the number two Intercontinental title guy of that era. I mean, it seemed like going, I mean, going into the era, he seemed like a very pure Intercontinental title, man, and he had it for, you know, he had a couple runs there early in the era. And then it's bookmarked with later in the new generation era where he has another run that's basically, you know, his stepping stone to the world. Title. Right. Right. So he's kind of he's kind of all over the uh, intercontinental belt in that time period. I think Tim put double J there because of the, the number of reigns. But yeah. it's also, you know, not to be forgotten that, yeah, he gets the belt back as a babyface in the summer of 95. He didn't. And that's where I absolutely don't think he needed the belt at all. Um, and I know double J was leaving uh, another one of his sabbaticals, but uh, they did not need to put it on Tom Michaels. It could have gone on anybody else, uh, basically, in 95 and kind of led to the, the two dudes with attitudes, a.k.a. the worst name of any team ever. Um with Diesel having the world title, Tom Michaels having the Intercontinental title. Uh, but let's not forget <laughs> in that early part of 1993 that the Heartbreak Kid does lose the championship in quite possibly the shock of all shocks. Maybe the first shock Monday Night Raw had, and that is the return and victory of Marty Jannetty beating his tag team partner, Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. Now tell me that you weren't shocked that Marty Jannetty won the world, uh, the Intercontinental Championship on a worldwide television show like Monday Night Raw. Totally shocked. And that was uh, one of those moments where I definitely remember completely marking out as a kid. When Mark, when Marty Jannetty popped out of the crowd, like that was crazy. It was so exciting. And then they actually got the title shot that night. His gear was in his bag. He was ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and he won the title shockingly uh yeah no it was fantastic that that angle that night was played perfectly and it was it was it's one of the best like one-time wins i can think of so he wins it may 17th 1993 uh at the manhattan center on monday night raw and loses it on june 6 1993 at a house show in albany new york um so yeah didn't really have what we would call length but for shock purposes for the yeah. first five months of Raw, that was the shock of all shocks. And that includes having Hulk Hogan come back uh, to the company and be on one of those early Raws. Um, uh, Mr. Perfect assisted uh, victory, even though I still don't understand how that towel that Mr. Perfect threw at Shawn Michaels really <laughs> distracted him to the point where he could uh, get uh, put down for a three count. <laughs> ah, you know, he can sell the towel. Shawn Michaels can sell anything. <laughs> hey, and it's, it's another instance where, you know, you always say CP about the macho man and his uh, prowess as a co commentator to me, uh, no better than in that match. <laughs> I mean, oh, he's yeah. going nuts 
for Marty Jannetty, and it is it is great, and it's so, and you can even see him on the video we're watching. He's amped. You can see he's like yeah, yeah, physically yeah. amped as, as he's talking. <laughs> no, he's he's fantastic in this match. He's so over the top for Marty Jannetty. You know what I also love on this role though, like in the beginning when Marty comes out and he challenges Shawn Michaels, Vince in that segment's hilarious. Like he he's just so into are are you saying you have your wrestling gear here tonight? Why don't you fight him, Sean? Why don't you fight him? I, he's just so hilarious in that segment. And it's, it's another one. It's like those two guys, too, Marty and Sean. I mean, when I you think about the barbershop, but I love this segment, too. Like, they're in a couple classic interview segments in my mind. Yeah, and, you know, let's, all, let's not overlook the fact that the January 93 Royal Rumble, the title match was Shawn Michaels versus Marty Jannetty. And the story behind that is that they were having – absolutely uh, phenomenal matches in the house show circuit leading into the Royal Rumble. And the match at the Royal Rumble was not up to what the expectations were, were kind of like built uh, from a management perspective. And the, uh, the feud was basically scrapped when Jeanette came back a few months later, that's what led to the shock should probably preface that first before we went to that whole diatribe about Jeanette. Um, but Janetti uh, said that these matches that they were having on loop right before the Royal Rumble 93 could have been WrestleMania main event uh, level of match. And to me, it's like, could somebody please find a freaking fan cam from that time and put that out? Because <laughs> that is like, I, who, I would watch that right now on Monday Night Raw if they replayed that rather than uh, what we're seeing on um uh, you know, regular regular basis these days. <laughs> that probably adds to the shock value too, actually, because it's kind of like it felt like, you know, he he didn't get the title at the Royal Rumble, and he was kind of just in Shawn Michaels' rearview mirror. Like it was like Shawn was done with Marty, and then here he is, you know, four or five months later. So ridiculous. Um, love Marty. Obviously, you know, we know Marty had his reasons why the pushes never really went far. Um, you know. But uh, could have been. Hey, yeah, I mean, I thought, again, I gullible. I thought Rick Martel was winning in the Battle Royal later in the year. I thought Marty Jannetty was winning at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> I'm a sucker for these Intercontinental Championship matches. Hey, the world would be a better place if Marty Jannetty won the title at that Royal Rumble. And if he All won right, the so, Royal Rumble itself. So one of the things that, yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's a damn good point. One of the things that we kind of talked about, you know, in, in the replica titles was the color. So uh, the Ultimate Warrior was kind of famous for changing the colors of the belts or, you know, they changed it for him. I'm not going to say he, he demanded it, but, you know, we think of the yellow Intercontinental title when the Warrior was IC champion in, in 1990. Um, the color went back to black, but I believe Shawn Michaels had a gold variation and possibly a blue variation um, in, in that first title run. Uh, that kind of brought a little bit more of a dimension back. Do you remember the two? I definitely remember the gold. Am I off on the blue? I feel like there was a so, blue one in there too. I thought he had a white one at one point. Yeah, he had um, the white one right here. Oh, oh so he did have the white strap as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then but obviously that, gold dust had the gold down the road too. Yeah. That Intercontinental title belt from that era though is one of my two or three favorite belts of all time. I, I love that belt. And I know it's, it was resurrected later, obviously, in recent years until recently. But uh, uh, that belt is just fantastic looking. You know, it's funny, just as a sidebar, the match that um, Timmy pulled up is a uh, house show 
Uh, it's a TV taping. It's a dark match. It's Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels from the summer of 1993. Now, I watched this match with a worker, uh, and he basically said he enjoyed this match because of the fact it was an easy uh, for the house match and it was nothing fancy and it was nothing it wasn't lazy but it was just your regular average house show match um on a tv taping schedule uh perfectly executed haha and something that is so lost in the the grand scheme of performing um that even today you know you go to a house show and these guys are still doing 900 run-ins 900 flips tables breaking chair shots blah 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 whereas this one was so simple um, and it, I, I love when they would put, they put stuff like this out. I mean, I wish they would do more, uh, releases like this, but, uh, just kind of fun, but there's that white intercontinental championship. Yeah, no. And one of the great, uh, I mean, it's like you, I've, and you've heard before that these two guys didn't always work great together in the ring. Perfect. And Shawn yeah. Michael, but I don't know how that's even possible. It's like, it's like those two guys can both like just fly around for anybody. I guess they just don't know how to react to each other doing the same thing. <laughs> but yeah, that but, is very weird. You would think on paper they could really be. So this was, you know, I have a section coming up where we'll talk about phantom wins. This is not, I wouldn't necessarily put this in there. Cause again, this is just the cheap pop for the crowd, get them re-energized. Um, you know, not necessarily, they know that some, chicanery happened but this could also be done just to kind of boop, get them down they might be sitting on their hands for a little while and now they see I, what they think is a title change um but why didn't mr perfect get the get another run huh he's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time to some why didn't he get another run with the uh the the belt as a baby face i have no idea i would have loved to see mr perfect have another run i mean he is t- i am one of those people that call him the greatest intercontinental champion of all time um I love Mr. Perfect, and I, I loved him as a face and a heel in that, you know, new generation time when he was still kind of hanging around. So, I mean, yeah, I have no idea. It, it makes no sense to me that he didn't get another run. Seems like he would have been perfect for it. There, there's the pun again. So That's you perfect. say perfect is the, is the standard bearer. He is the numero uno IC champ of all time? I consider him to be, yes. Timmy? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't argue that. He's always been in my mind. Oh, I can argue it. <laughs> oh, I can uh, argue it. Marty is slightly below perfect. <laughs> Marty's, Marty. in, Marty's in the top ten. No, it's it starts and ends at the hockey talk, man, guys. I mean, come on, don't even bring that crap to my to my show here. Come on, get out of here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I would put, I would put hockey a little behind Wild Man Mark Merrill. <laughs> <laughs> Does fit in the new generation, Wild Man. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> So he uh, he's absolutely uh, on the list, but um, yeah, no, that's uh, th- those kinds of matches are great. Those dark matches, love them to death. Um, but the Phantom Champions that I had listed, I meant the guys that like they use them as an out. So your Bob Hollies of the world and your Savio Vegas of the world, who basically, for whatever reason, and it both having to do with Jeff Jarrett, I think, or it was one gold list and one was Jeff Jarrett, where. They just kind of lost the belt and got the belt back after a week um, for a vacated (laughs) rule breaking or something. Uh, But poor Bob Holly, who I love and would eventually be intercontinental champion down the road in the Attitude Era, um, used as a stepping stone to get Garrett another reign. That's not not right. 
Yeah, Jeff needed his other reign, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they give Bob Holly the title for a week here. It's, uh, you know, just a little He's not a recognized bag. champion here. He's not a recognized champ. This is a vacated the, – the rule and the, the, the ruling is uh, that yeah, – and right, I will right. bring it to you officially. It is uh, – it's held up when the match between Jeff Jarrett and Bob Sparkplug Holly ended in controversy. Uh, aired on delay April 30th, 1995. And then the following taping, uh, which would eventually just air May 7th, I think it was the same night. Yeah, same night, same venue, but aired a week later. Uh, Jeff Jarrett defeats Bob Holly in a rematch for the vacant title. So they literally had a, had a what we would call a fuck finish to uh, just give the belt right back to Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, no, just to get an extra rain out of it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I forgot about that. I thought he was named the Intercontinental Champion, but that's definitely right. They just vacated it. Is this the one where Doink counts to three? Or is that another match I'm thinking of? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. I I cannot recall, Chadster. I remember Doink and Jeff Jarrett having a quick little feud, and it was because Doink counted a three by reversing his jacket, and the inside of his jacket had referee stripes. <laughs> like, who thinks of this? Come on, Vince. <laughs> yeah. How else would a clown win? How about Doink? Could you see Doink as the Intercontinental Champion? I Not in this part of the new generation. I could... I mean, maybe like when Mark Merrow and Hunter Hearst Helmsley were winning the Intercontinental title at the later part of the generation. Um, you know, it felt like you it took it. A- you can't see. Wait, wait. You can't see Maniac Matt Bourne, Crazy Doink, possibly sneaking an Intercontinental title win in? No, I could see that Doink winning. I, I'm I'm thinking more of a face playful Doink. Uh, no, I could see 1993 <laughs> Evil Doink absolutely being an Intercontinental champion. I agree with that. He would be excellent. How about, and we're just kind of segueing here into this little segment, uh, how about Doink's biggest nemesis of 1993? How about Crush? Could you have seen Crush as the Intercontinental Champion? I think I could see Crush as the Intercontinental Champion. More of a transitional Intercontinental Champion, I would think. But yeah, I don't see why not. Are you talking, yeah, already, you're talking Kona Crush? Kona Crush, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we already said Mr. Perfect, who you're absolutely head over heels for um <laughs> how about the guy we talked about last week how about tatanka i i feel like tatanka should have won the intercontinental title at wrestlemania 9 so i have to say yes to him i guess i can't say yes to everybody though can i can't you can do whatever you want it's fantasy booking <laughs> you, can stay, you can stay and do whatever you want how about this guy a little bit later in the new generation timeline uh possibly could have used it to elevate his group a little bit. What about Farouk? I mean, Farouk, I, I feel like I could definitely see Farouk being a kind of champion. What, but Especially, would you have given him the title to help the, you know, the, 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 the narrative of the nation that, you know, they're, they're, they're battling the, you know, the, the machine and here they're, they're taking one of their belts and they're going to, you know, they're going to show you what, what it's like to hold the gold or something like that. Yeah, no, I think that would be a cool storyline. I mean, you have yeah, Farouk just taken over from the inside, taking their titles from them. That would be a great storyline. How about Mankind? I would say I, I almost think of Mankind as like almost like in a different world than the Intercontinental title. So I would say no, actually, for Mankind. I don't know. 
good man. It's exactly what I was going for because it, it's weird how they blur the line with who they give the belt to now. Because, you know, a year ago, whenever the hell he had it, you know, Braun Strowman doesn't really jump off the page as a guy who'd be holding the Intercontinental title. It would be like putting the belt on a guy like Mankind or Vader and being like, why are these massive yeah. main event guys who were waiting for them to battle, you know, Shawn Michaels or Diesel or whoever, Brett, Sid, why are they competing for that secondary title? Um, but where a guy like Razor Ramon, who never had a world title run, I, I honestly, I can't see him as not being an intercontinental champion. So it's just very weird how <laughs> the no, different I, main event players get pieced around. I agree a hundred percent. It's very weird to me today. The way, I mean, it's almost like the title is just, you know, whoever's turn it is like, I mean, AJ Styles just goes back and forth between being yeah. the world champ, the U S champ and the intercontinental champ. Like it doesn't make any sense. And for younger fans that are listening, you know, and I know we've had a lot, we've had a lot of people say that they're listening to the show and going back and watching things. That would be like if Bret Hart in 96 loses the belt to Shawn Michaels and then he comes back and his feud with Steve Austin is over the Intercontinental title. <laughs> it's like yeah. it would have made zero sense in terms of Bret as this marquee star main event, you know, on his way to being a legend Hall of Famer. No need for AJ Styles to go from intercontinental to world to intercontinental to US to intercontinental to world. It makes no sense the way they book this this stuff now. When you say that, it's crazy because it's like I love like Razor as the intercontinental champion. But yeah, if Brett came down and won the intercontinental title after three world title reigns at that time, I would have been crying. I would have been like, "What happened to Bret Hart?" It's a, <laughs> it's a totally different time. So Austin, I just mentioned him. Uh, eventually does get the Intercontinental Championship famously after his neck broke at the Meadowlands Arena for SummerSlam 97. Would you have given Austin the Intercontinental title a year earlier as he was rising and challenging Brett uh, fall 1996? Would you rather see him the champ there than in 97? Um, I guess it, it's... It, it's weird. I, I probably, because I kind of hate the people that had the Intercontinental title at that time, it feels like it decreased in value to me at that specific time period that you're talking about. Um, Austin's kind of hard, hard to pinpoint, though, because his build was so lengthy to from where it seemed like he was already super over to where he became, like, you know, the true Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was years. Yeah, and he vacates the Intercontinental title. And uh, he's basically, I mean, the whole thing where he throws it off the bridge and, and feuding with the rock in the end of 97, four months later, the Austin era begins. So he literally went from walking away from the Intercontinental title to beating Shawn Michaels. But that's not in our timeline here. So scrap it from the record. That hasn't technically happened yet um, yep. in our reign. But just to, to throw it out there, the new generation in the timeline we have it ending, you're end of the uh the, the bookmark champions are the rock as rocky mayavia and triple h as cool. hunter hearst helmsley and and gold is in the picture but doesn't win it trading the belt back and forth yes and rocky mayavia won the uh intercontinental title from hunter hearst helmsley in you know what was the greatest match those two would ever have that's a joke. <laughs> Which one was that? The, at the Worcester Centrum in uh, Worcester, Mass, in the small, <laughs> I believe, Friday Night Raw. Like, uh, and, and again, like, not even like, 
folks, The Rock was so disliked at that point. Nobody even cared <laughs> that he won. It was more like, oh, come on. And they gave like, him, seriously. <laughs> they gave him that super like baby face Bret Hart win where Hunter kind of beat him down. And then he just came yeah. out with a small package out of nowhere. It was awesome, but terrible at the same time. Where on the flip side, the Hunter Hearst Helmsley intercontinental title victory is awesome because it's a double cross where Mr. Perfect, who had been teasing a, uh, a feud with uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley tricks Mark Merrow into putting up the belt <laughs> and then helps Hunter Hearst Helmsley win. And to me, that was the absolute perfect time for Hunter Hearst Helmsley to get the intercontinental championship. Oh, it was perfect, and that was a great setup. I mean, they laid Mark Merrow look like a moron in that build. <laughs> <laughs> they did. And Mark well, Merrow, oh, he, he's such a good guy, too. <laughs> it's, how, it sucks. How many times are people going to trust Mr. Perfect is one thing, and then another thing is just he still didn't have to accept that match right then and there. There was no need for it. <laughs> hey, a champion is ready to go when the title has to be on the line. That's uh, true. Um. This is one little thing I, I have to mention on this, and that's called cup of coffee. I have it labeled as. Um, and there's really only one cup of coffee intercontinental champion from this era that I must address. And that is my tag team partner from the Triple Threat podcast, the franchise, Shane Douglas, who at that point was portraying the character Dean Douglas. Now, to me, the backstory of why the Dean did not have a long reign is more interesting than the fact that Shawn Michaels got beat up by 95 uh, Marines at a bar, <laughs> AKA this many. <laughs> if anybody can see the video, one guy, it was at least um, 300. One guy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the Dean Douglas title reign was supposed to be much, much more in terms of its length. Uh, but unfortunately only lasted uh, the vacating of the title by Shawn Michaels uh, the first in a losing his smile run that he would go on. And then uh, he would drop it right to Scott Hall, Razor Ramon a few minutes later. But the image of, of Shane holding that belt and then putting it on to me is the antithesis of a heel as he puts the belt around his waist and the microphone on the camera picks up. That was easy. <laughs> Total heel right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Was that so? Was did they give it to him for that heel moments? Because I, I always kind of wonder that. Like a lot of times when there's a forfeit, you would just you would think they would just be him and somebody else plugged in for a match for the title versus them actually awarding him the belts. You know what I mean? Yeah, I believe the story goes that they were going to work the the match out, and he goes to the back, and Scott Hall was basically sitting in the corner, and he goes, "What's going on?" And they go, "Well, after uh, you get the title on the vacated." uh Shawn Michaels uh segment uh you're dropping it to him and he was like well why like that's not what we had talked about and basically it's the beginning of the end of yeah. his his time because that's when he saw that the writings on the wall but look I mean like this is where he's at his best as a heel I mean look at him mocking him in the um yeah. you know uh, in the corner and you know the fans are booing the shit out of Dean Douglas and to me again it's only a couple minutes but look at the 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 heat he got for those yeah. couple of minutes. Well, he's sending the beloved Shawn Michaels away so sadly the night after he was beat up by 670 people. It was crazy. <laughs> but he is brilliant at this heel moment. You're right. One guy. <laughs> 
713 Marines. And that's why uh, when when we have my my partner join us at some point, uh, we'll definitely have him relive that. But yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Cause, and this match, you know, kind of goes in line with what they said about the, the fact that him and Scott Hall did not have a great chemistry. The match is just kind of, eh, but is that it's not Shane's fault. It's not Scott Hall's fault. They just didn't mesh well together. So unfortunately that's it. But I mean, that white intercontinental gold looks great on Dean Douglas. <laughs> no, it absolutely does. Yeah. It's also interesting that, yeah, I mean, I know razor has been the perennial intercontinental champion and I, I labeled him as the, we all labeled him as the top intercontinental champion of the era. But it, in my mind at this time, it almost felt like he, he, like I kind of expected him to lose this match. I think when this was set up, like I didn't, I thought he was like a notch below at this point. Like he was kind of on the downturn. Do you agree with that or no? Who's this, Razor Ramon? Razor, yeah. Uh, earlier in the night, he was in a tag match, I believe. Um, him and Marty Jannetty versus uh, Sid and the Kid, possibly. Yeah. Um, and I believe it was the opening contest. So at this point, I got to say, no, I would think he's he's probably going to win. Why would you bring him back out if he wasn't going to win? You know, I mean, that's he's too high a tier of a baby face to lose in a way coming back. You know, I don't think that that's. Or is this earlier in the show? Was it the smoking guns against the kid and uh, and Razor? Okay, so I'm a month uh, I'm a month behind in terms of my or a month ahead in terms of my turning uh, knowledge. Yeah, no, I hear you. I d- I just felt like um you know Razor like he wasn't this is months before he's on his way out to WCW, but it, it just felt to me like he already had kind of taken a downturn where he wasn't quite on the level he was uh, you know six months before this. But. Yeah, and then, so he gets the belt back here uh, by defeating uh, the Dean and then drops it to Goldust in January at the Royal Rumble, which catapults Goldust into another stratosphere. Goldust comes in in the fall of 95 and by uh, November, uh, by January is the Intercontinental Champion. And basically, you know, they always say, and, and Shane says it all the time, uh, when Vince wants to stick a rocket up your ass... <laughs> There you go, flying to the top, and that's exactly what happened to Goldust. Absolutely, and this is uh, one of basically this is the only time they actually fought on television, correct? Razor and Goldust. Yeah. Oh, because the buildup was the psychological mastery yeah. of uh, <laughs> Goldust. No. What, what were they saying about him? He was bizarre, right? That <laughs> the bizarre one. Yes. <laughs> I yeah, mean, the, the heart. I I can remember. I mean, I I. I believe i mean it was we all talked about it back then you know i'll take us back to uh thompson middle school days you know the when he pulled down that shirt and had the heart of razor on his chest i mean that like blew our little minds (laughs) we didn't know what the heck was going on yeah no he was pulling another level the buildup was crazy for this match but then yeah it just i mean you you hear those stories about how scott hall didn't want to work with him uh like too far later and it, it just seemed like you know this feud was definitely destined to be more than just this, but it, but it was still definitely, you know, it for gold dust. It was awesome for him. The mind games. That's what it was that they called it. So instead of blatantly, you know, allu- they alluded to the fact that gold dust may be of, uh, you know, different, uh, orientation than that of razor Ramon, but they called it mind games, which is classic Vince McMahon get around saying what you really want to say. <laughs> And come up with another phraseology uh, for it. But what it famously does is it takes away the Miami street fight that was supposed to take place at WrestleMania 12 that turned into the Hollywood backlot brawl. Goldust 
versus Rowdy Roddy Piper that was not for the Intercontinental Championship. But it's one of the most memorable matches that happens in an Intercontinental title reign, I would say. I love the Hollywood backlip roll. It's yeah. classic, oh, it's- classic stuff. It's crazy. It, it's freaking nuts. And know the stories you know now about it, like basically being a shoot. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's unbelievable. If you haven't seen that, folks, go check it out. I do want to cover that at some point. Um, but we might be covering something else having to do with Rowdy Roddy Piper before we get to the backlap brawl. Ooh, a little tease. Ooh. ooh. Sprinkle that, that in. <laughs> that was a CP suggestion that we're, we're going to touch on uh, before we close that out here. Uh, all right, kind of moving down my list here. We only got a couple things left. Um, marquee matches. What comes to your mind? I mean, there's obviously the this is the hacky answer, but there's the ladder match at WrestleMania yeah, 10. I'm surprised we didn't bring that up yet. Yeah, I, that's well, you know one of that's one of the most memorable matches of all time. It's sort of looked at as the standard barrier for. But though after I, reading Brett's book, I realized that it wasn't um, you know for Sean at that point, or you know it wasn't Vince's idea. He stole it from Brett. Yeah, yeah. yeah Brett and Sean had that other ladder match that was on. That was on a Coliseum video, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But this is, I mean, this is definitely what I think of as the standard bearer. And I was in the building that night, which puts it on a little bit of a higher level for me. Uh, But (laughs) that's what I do, buddy. That's what I do. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. This is a excellent match. I know it's a TV match. I would also put the aforementioned Razor Martel match on there. Actually. I feel like that's a very fun, interesting match too. Um, yeah, I think this one, I, I can't really put another one on the level of this WrestleMania 10 ladder match, though. Off the top of my head right now, I can't think of one. Timmy, what comes to your mind? Marquee matches. Yeah, I mean, this is the epitome of it, is that ladder match. I just, I don't remember necessarily the matches, just the feuds that all stick out. Like, you know, from the get-go, the Brett and Sean and Davey Boy and Sean, you know, to me, that kicked it off with just tremendous, like, name power. And then you just had those great Razor, you know, Razor, Double J, and all those. It was just the feuds that stuck out in my mind, not necessarily the matches. I'm disappointed, TP, you didn't bring up Razor Ramon versus IRS from the 1994 Rumble Rumble in the marquee. No, 94. Oh, 94. Come on. 94. I I know. Um, I'm going to throw you guys a curveball because I – okay, yes, the WrestleMania 10 match is what it is. I like personally the SummerSlam 95 ladder match more than the WrestleMania 10 one. Um, like the WrestleMania 10 outcome more than I like the SummerSlam 95 yeah. outcome, but I do think that is a better match. Would I say that's the marquee match? Obviously, no, it's the WrestleMania 10 one, but I'm going to put that as a absolute runner up to the, uh, the, uh, the WrestleMania 10, but I'm also, you know what I'm going to throw in there too. I'm going to throw in the uh, Razor Ramon versus Diesel um, SummerSlam 94 match because I do think that that one has it all for being two big guys, all the stuff going on outside the ring, and the electricity of that crowd in Chicago that we talked about last week. Um, So I'm going to put that towards the top of the marquee um, matches as well. And and I got to put Marty Jannetty and Sean... (laughs) I have to. I mean, it's it's probably has the most shocking, outside of maybe the one two three kid beating Razor Ramon, probably the most shocking finish of that era. 
Yeah, I agree with actually putting that in there. It was, it was in my head before. I just I didn't want to mention <laughs> multiple things twice. <laughs> so for those of us keeping score at home, either either our matches have Shawn Michaels or Scott Hall in them. <laughs> so I guess we will put them one and two for the uh, the list. <laughs> By the way, Chancellor, I will say, I honestly in my head, to, it's, it's so it's like almost like just I feel like the WrestleMania 10 match has to be first for some reason. But I actually agree with you. Today, I find the SummerSlam match more entertaining. But that's because the, it, the WrestleMania 10 match just sort of set the bar for that time for ladder matches. And they've all gone up like notches at this like over the years. And SummerSlam picked it up a notch as far as action, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I would say, like, because today I actually like, if I'm ranking WrestleMania 10 matches at one at any point, I like the Brett Owen match better than the ladder match now. And I oh, never yeah. would have, I never would have said that when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, like that ladder match was everything to me. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so the final question, I, I guess we could say is just looking at that era. So 93 to early 97, look, the whole picture of the company was the intercontinental title bigger than the world title. Um, it, it was close. I don't know that I would say it was bigger. Uh, I would say it was 1A, though. It certainly felt way bigger than it does today. So, I mean, I wouldn't argue that. Um, and it depends on it depends on who the champion is and when, I would say, too. Uh, so there might be little inklings of time where it's definitely on the at least the exact same level. Uh, but it's up there. It, so it was a lot more, a lot more gray line there than there was back in the, uh, you know, the Federation era where you had the Hogan up here and then you know the Warrior and all yeah. the other guys a step below. It was, it was more of a level playing field at this era. Definitely. Well, I mean, it felt like you know you had, uh, you know, Brett's been the champ, Brett was the champ a bunch of this era, and he always kind of felt like, you know, he was the Intercontinental champ before this yeah. era. So. so think about all this stuff that we talked about right tonight. Here are your world championship world championship title holders during that uh, that era. Brett, Yoko, Diesel, Shawn Michaels, Sid, and Hulk Hogan. Now, bigger than the world title, maybe? I think it's close. I still can't put it bigger, but I but I, I see where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Just trying to see. Um, this, this is honestly, I consider it the second or I, it's – it might be that I don't. It's right near the top for my favorite era of intercontinental titles in general. Uh, okay, it's, it's either right before it or right now or this. <laughs> and before we wrap, I have to mention the best non-in-ring moment for the intercontinental uh, championship, and that would be its amazing appearance on the Jerry Springer show. Um, yeah. If you've never seen that, it is a a touching moment as Razor Ramon visits two young children. Uh, on the Jerry Springer show and awards them uh, their own intercontinental championships. And it is uh razor in all his razor glory. So got to throw that out there. If you've never seen that, it's fantastic. Go look it up. It's on YouTube and it's uh, a wonderful moment for pro wrestling. How fun did it used to be in general when a wrestler was on any kind of talk show and somewhat <laughs> in character? It was incredible. I mean, I, the Macho Man on Arsenio Hall is just the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> or, or be, can you can you remember this? And this is another thing that I, I talk about a lot. 
being homesick and finding out that there was a wrestler on Regis and Kathy Lee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Lex Luger is on Regis and Kathy Lee? Come on, get the get the VHS. Let's record this. And you know Regis is going to let them beat him up. Oh, my God. Uh, I remember specifically in 1994, Shawn Michaels and Diesel right before SummerSlam coming out on Regis Kathy Lee with the tag titles, and that's how you found out that they won. <laughs> that is fantastic. Only of that only of this era. Only of this era. It's a lost uh it, it's a lost like treasure that we don't have that kind of simplicity in a way. I mean look it's very easy to have things that we have now, but that was like you imagine being a fan and not knowing A they were going to be on and then finding out that they are <laughs> the, the tag champs, <laughs> folks. That blew your mind. Okay, so uh, I, I can't stress that enough. But all right, um, this is a great episode. And again, I, I love this kind of discussion where we can just talk and go through things rather than even analyze it. We're just chit chatting. Uh, but next week we're going to talk about a topic that CP uh, mentioned to me the other day, and I think this is a fantastic because it molds together. Basically, my favorite era uh, of all time and brings it into the new generation as we see the return of Rowdy Roddy Piper to the ring as he battles Jerry the King Lawler at King of the Ring 1994. But the buildup is what we're going to be talking about a lot because it is crazy and uh, it is accentuating the Rowdy Piper uh, character to like the highest extent possible. Uh, first thoughts before we uh, we wrap it up here about next week's topic. Uh, I just want to say, yeah, I mean that's it's going to be a fun show next week. The Roddy Piper is fantastic in that build up. He, his guy that uh, or um, Jerry Lawler's friend that does impressions isn't fantastic in that build up, and it's just so interesting that you have these two guys who are clearly from a deep in a generation before the new generation that get a pay per view headlining feud in the heart of the new generation. I hear those bagpipes, my friend. And there's only, that means only one person and uh, can't wait to talk about it next week. All right. So we'll head to the wrap up. Of course, you're listening to a brand new new generation declassified here on the TMPT empire, head over to TMPTEmpire.com for the rest of the podcast we have under the umbrella, uh, including all the interviews and all the shows, Dr. Tom, uh, all the, the in-depth uh, superstars that we feature on a, a given week on the TMPT Empire, all going down uh, right now, tmptempire.com. Uh, if you want to find out more of what's going on with me, head on over to Twitter. You can hit me up. It's at Chad EMB there. It's also at Chad EMB on Instagram. Um, but uh, never stops uh, in the world of podcasting. And if you head over to Twitter, you'll get to see that in a major way. Uh, CP, you're also the podcasting star, but in the boxing world. So why don't you tell us what's going on with you and uh, what you got coming up? Yeah, I mean, we got, I've told before, we got Stick and Move Stories, uh, Google Stick and Move Stories podcast. Uh, you can find season one, 12 episodes. Each episode covers a historic topic in the world of boxing. There is plans for a season two to launch soon, which I have delayed several times, but it's uh, it's definitely in the works. And I have a uh, an interesting plan for it that I'll reveal one of these weeks at some point. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Pugs. That's uh, three Zs on there. At P-U-G-Z-Z-Z. If you want to make nice. fun of me for that. Three Zs. 
Oh, we'll be flocking. Uh, I'm trying not to use the same line every week, but why don't you add a couple more Z's on there, and maybe we'll remember it a little uh, easier. <laughs> it's one one twelve the amount of Z's as um, Marines that beat up Shawn Michaels. Yes, exactly. I think 35, maybe 55. I think maybe 205. Um, crazy. But, Timmy, how about you? What you got going on? Just the usual. Find me on Twitter at Vazdefron. Um, I'm here. Not the best color man in the business, folks. You are. You absolutely are. And uh, <laughs> you, you click. You click that mouse like nobody else uh, I've ever seen in my life. So uh, that's enough out of us this week. We appreciate everybody tuning in. And again, the feedback off the charts. It's literally my favorite part of the week now is getting the feedback from the episodes keep it coming keep those cards and letters uh safely rolling in and uh we won't do anything with them but just keep them rolling in that's that's pretty much it so for the crack broadcast team this is the chadster and we will catch you all on the flip side thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading